I Am Man podcast is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is your boy, Robert Marshall with the I Am Man podcast. I am so excited that you guys are listening in on tonight. Uh, it's going to be a, an amazing, raw, real podcast. I am actually have the privilege of interviewing the man who gave me one of my first professional jobs right out of college. Uh, he's an amazing guy. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a mentor. He's an educator. Um, and so many other hats and adjectives that can be used to describe him. But I want to uh, definitely, before he drops all this wisdom on us, all his, uh, all his nuggets, all he got to offer, um, I want everyone to give um, a big, big welcome to the I Am Man podcast, Mr. Vondell Singleton. What's up, Mr. Singleton? What's what it good? do? What it do? What it do? Oh, man, you are at the, you are in the I Am Man lounge, man. I'm so excited to have you with me today man and i'm glad to be here my good brother man glad that you invited me man and congratulations well i'm glad that you got a chance to pencil me in and all that you got going on i mean there's not an award that you guys have not won there's not a level of achievement in the realm of mentorship giving back that uh that the champs organization the champs program hasn't uh, hasn't accomplished, man. Like, I'm excited that you penciled me in into your schedule. Man, glad to be here, my brother. I'm honored. And, man, I just want to say this. You know, we got to support brothers like uh, Robert. You know what I mean? Like, when somebody wants to get out there and do something, it's not always about, like, who you know, how many people you got following you got to get down on the ground level and help build with people man so that's what we're about to do man build, baby i'm excited let's build yo let's build man i'm just excited dude how have you been handling all of this COVID 19 stuff man man it's crazy man like i'm almost 40 years old and <laughs> i've never ever ever been a part of anything quite like this in my entire life and the thing, though, that I find is, like, what you have been practicing in the dark comes out in the light. Mm. So a lot of people have been pushed into, you know, a corner where, you know, life has, you know, slowed down. So a lot of people are dealing with a lot of mental health issues right now because they never really grapple with those issues. Mm. So what I'm finding is I have to say, hey, what is it that God has put you on the earth to do? What's your purpose? You know, what haven't you done that you can do now with this time? And being an educator, we're not in the school. So, you know, my kids, I make sure they in a routine, kind of have a real tight schedule from day to day. My wife is a principal. So being both administrators, we pretty serious about how our days flow even at home. But right. at the same time, it's, you know, it's like, you know, what do we do? How do we become what I call the version 2.0 of ourselves? 
Wow, that's love, man. That's that's deep. I um as an educator myself, I understand I have three little ones. I got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And man, let me tell you, routine is everything. It is everything. But it's amazing, man, that you even kicked off starting to talk about um, the where people are with this COVID-19 stuff, mental health issues um, and just an array of issues, because you you can run. There's an old wise saying that says you can run from people some of the time, but you can't run from God and yourself any of the time. And I, wow. well, I find out, man, that so many of us are running from ourselves and don't want to uh, deal with us. And one thing that the mm-hmm. slowdown does is that it makes you reflective and look within, man. Mm-hmm. It makes you look within, man. And I think um, that sometimes it's healthy to look in. And so that's what we, man, we're here to do tonight. We're here to look in. And I always kick off this podcast, always kick off with my, with my guests asking them, yo, what is your definition of what it means to be a man. That's man. You know, it, you, you kind of think, you know, but when you get asked the question, it makes you kind of think about <laughs> what you're about to say. Right. Um, so, so man, for me, you know, I think the biggest thing and it kind of changed because right, you, you're a child. So your perception of who you are and the world around you is different. Then you become a, All depends on what you're going through, what you're dealing with. And then when you're a young adult, then you get into adult life. So for me, manhood is responsibility and accountability, right? Like I'm, I'm responsible for my decisions. I'm responsible for, you know, my wife and my kids. But I'm also accountable beyond myself, my family. I got people outside work. I have a boss, Right. Uh, the young men that I mentor, you know, they look to me as a model. And so manhood to me is is both having this sense of, of who you are, purpose, identity, but then accountability and responsibility. So that's true manhood for me and about to be 40 next month. Wow, man. You know, one of the, part of the research that I've been kind of looking into as we've delved into the I Am Man podcast is that uh, manhood or man, a person is not just born as a man. He developed person or a male develops into manhood, um, into becoming a man. And so um, with each different phase of life, that definition changes drastically yeah and so ma'am i i wonder so you said you're almost 40 right next month may 30th god is good brother it's good man you don't look to hit the 40 you you don't 40 way you don't look 40 bro you you don't look 40 Hey, man, I don't look like what I've been through. Ah, I feel you on that, man. (laughs) I feel you on that, man. But, dude, who? so right now I'm 40 years old. I hear 40 is that that monumental year that's kind of the crossover, the crossover year. So who are you at 40 years old? Man, let me take you back to, you know, just where I've been to get to kind of where I am. And let me just start you on a quick journey, right? Come on, take me, bro. So, man, born born on the south side of Chicago, Bronzeville community, um, you know, to two teenagers. My mom was 15. My father was 19 years old. And, uh, 
you know, at, a, at an early age, I saw a lot of things, was a part of a lot of things I shouldn't have been a part of at four and five, right? My father putting the guns underneath the mattress and mm. putting the drugs underneath the mattress in which I laid my head in the Ida B. Wells housing projects, which is, which is in a Bronzeville community. And I remember him saying, son, I don't want you touching these guns and drugs. I'm doing this to take care of you. Right. So for me, my first experience of manhood was my father telling me this is how I provide Mm. for my son. Right. So, you know, your father is your first introduction to manhood should be. Right. Fortunately, in our African-American communities, a lot of our fathers right, are not in the home or absentee locked up or dead. But my father was involved in my life. He was young, 19 years old. So at the age of four and five, that was my first real life experience. And then um, things kind of shifted. I was living with my mom. My mom got hooked on drugs. Okay, my mm. about four or five. In particular, crack cocaine. It was a drug epidemic in the United States. It hit urban America really hard. Places like Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, L.A., parts of New York, you know, it was really, really, really hardcore. Yeah. And to be able to live to tell that story, you know, it was a lot of loss that came with that, right? So, you know, after, you know, 14 straight years of me being on the earth, I buried my mom in 1994. My mom was only 29. Wow. Remember I said she had me when she was 15. Right. So this is my biological mom. I'm at the funeral in 1994, in the summer of 94, looking in the coffin and looking at my nine-year-old brother saying, okay, we have a crossroads now. Either we can go the way that was put before us or we can choose our own path. And by the grace of God, Brother Robert, you know, God sent the mentor in 97 and I was 17. And he gave me a second look of what a man was. Mm. He said, hey, never flown on the plane? Got you. Let me put you on the plane, fly you out. 17, you've never been on a plane? I said, no, sir. My mother's dead. And at that time, my father was incarcerated. Wow. So my identity of manhood was warped. And that's why I said we had these stages of what we think we know as a man who we are, and then the environment around us began to dictate to us what true manhood. And so it was just survival for me at that particular point. I knew I didn't want to be locked up or dead. I didn't have a vision. I didn't know about college because I had never really experienced anyone who went to college at that particular time. And so, you know, once, once I met my mentor, he actually was the blueprint and I tell people this all the time, and this is why I have such a passion for mentorship, because he didn't tell me like, hey, I'm going to be your mentor. This is how mentors supposed to be. He showed me. He didn't yeah. tell me. He showed me. Yeah. And so as I watched and I was around that, I began to get the same DNA put in me, and I didn't even know it. So went to Stanford University for my first flight, Right got there, saw the palm trees in real life. I'm like, real palm trees? It's not the encyclopedia, <laughs> the encyclopedia back then. It wasn't the internet day. No, it's real. Saw the palm trees in the encyclopedia, so to actually be there and to actually see it for myself, I was like, whoa! 
And then he began to say, all right, do you see yourself going to college? And I'm like, yes. Filled out a bunch of, you know, college applications, got accepted into Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, an ultra-conservative Christian university, you know, that, um, you know, was a place where I ended up landing within that year. And so when I went there and I was getting through my four years, you know, I had discovered who I was. Yeah. I knew exactly who I was. Now, this is between the ages of 18 and 22. Uh, I called my mentor in 2002 before I graduated. I said, sir, what do I need to do to pay you back for what you've done for me? I realize I'm awakened now. I know who I am. Right. And he said the same thing I did for you do for somebody else. Wow. That's when the light bulb. Yeah. Yep. Dude, that's crazy. I've known of you. I've been in your presence. But half of that story, half of you are like, I never heard. I never knew. And um, I know some of you guys can't physically see him. But, dude, you really don't look like what you've been through. <laughs> that that That's real. And so you said you were going to pay it for it. One thing that you said that I really kind of want to, I want you to expound on is that all that you really at, at one point in your life could define manhood, uh, define manhood as was survival. Mm-hmm. Now you being from the South side of Chicago, an administrator, um, Chicago has one of the highest murder rates, crime rates in our nation. And I wonder, how do you gauge young men whose working definitions of manhood is survival? You know, I I think the, the, the truth of the matter is we have to go back into history and really dig deep. Yeah. On how do we get here in the first place? And I think for some of us, it's going to sound very similar. Right. You know, I had a very warped experience in my family of origin. We talk about that in counseling. Right. Like a lot of the problems that people deal with, whether it's mentally, relationship wise, moments of truth stem from your family of origin. So it goes back to your father's story. So when I talk to a lot of young men and I've been privileged to mentor a few, um, I always try to ask tell me your father's story. And it's usually one of three stories. One, I've never met my father. Two, my father is around, but he's not involved in my life. Or three, my father's locked up with dead. And 80% of the young men that I mentor, right, are in survival mode. Yeah. Where they are trying to discover what to do next, and nothing is really planned out. Everything is short-term lived. So when we look at high violence, it's stemming from a lack of a foundation of a man saying, this is what you need to do, rites of passage, at this age. This is how you need to conduct yourself at this age. And so when you don't have that generational baton handoff, you leave it up to whatever comes your way to shape your life. So a lot of mistakes that could have been avoided are made 
in those moments where you are just trying to live. And to be honest with you, I was there. I was there as a young teenager, man. After my mom passed away, my thoughts started to flood. All right, who's going to take care of me? How am I going to eat? It was just basic. You talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, just basic needs being melted. Shelter, food, you know, a sense of belonging, those types of things. Yeah. It wasn't like what my GPA was and <laughs> what my future is going to be. It was like, what am I going to eat now? Yeah. And I think that is a very dangerous place to leave um, a, a person in, whether it's a young man, young lady, whoever. When you're in the mode where you're just out here surviving and you don't have a real true vision or someone to pour into you what it's going to take for you to get to the next level. Yeah, man. So as you've transitioned now and you've come from, man, really from the bottom and you are where you are now, um, where you're an educated man, you're a man with a family, you're um, a man with, you know, who's doing great things. And I thought, I think you've met the president as well, right? Yeah. You know, what's what's so crazy about that, man? Let me, let me just tell y'all about this real quick. Right. So I'm up at Gary Comer at the time, um, serving full-time administrator as assistant principal, but also working in a class full of young people who was having some real struggles and some hard times. And so the idea was, you know, I would spend a little time with them every other day. But I knew in my spirit it was going to take more than just the 45 minutes every other day to really make some impact on some of these kids, right? And so one day I'm sitting in front of the room like I always do and just trying to inspire them, giving it everything that I got, just inspire them like, hey, look, I saw y'all walking down the street. Pull your pants up. You know, I'm just on some street stuff. Right. Hey, I saw you walk. Man, pull your pants up. You got your headphones on, you underwear. Make sure you wear. I said, yeah, when we start going to different places, we can't be having our pants sagging down. You know, you can't be. And I said, when we get to the White House and meet the president, you know, I definitely don't want to see no sagging pants. And one of the boys in the back of the class said, Mr. Singleton, what are you talking about when we get to the White House? I said, yeah, what am I talking about? Hold on. I just kind of just put some out there. I had no connection. I had no relationships with anybody. But I spoke it as if it was going to happen. Wow. And so one of the young men, he was like, hey, man, I appreciate your inspiration and motivation, but I don't want to go to no White House. I'm like, why? And so we kind of like in the middle of the class, I confronted him. I'm like, why? You don't want to go to the White House. First African-American president, President Obama at the time is in the the White House. It's 2014, by the way, where this is happening. Right. And so I said, you know what? I don't want to take up all the class time. Let's just talk out the class about it, right? Just just stay back for a minute or two. Let's talk about this. So everybody left after the bell rung. He stood back. And I said, man, tell me why you say you don't want to go to the White House. I'm I'm just interested. I I don't understand. And he, he stopped for a second, Paul. And he said, man, I don't even know. I just don't want to go to no White House. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> but when we go, just remember you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you said you didn't want to go. You right. got to be careful what you speak. Right. Right. And God is my witness, man. I don't even know how it all happened. But within six months, we were 
with President Obama in the White House. With 35 of us, and get this, he was number 36. He didn't make it. Crazy. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yep. Dude. And so when we got back, we left Friday, March 20th. I remember because it was my daughter's birthday. Friday, March 20th. I think it was 2015. Um, and when we got back that Monday, he was the first one to run up and was like, I got what you were saying. I spoke that. I want to go to the White House. So when y'all go back, <laughs> count me in. And I just, you know, and it was cool, you know, being in the White House with President Obama walking around the White House, like, you know, and it was just like, I'm seeing young men from the South Side who never left the city. Right. Like, and we here, you know, and they arguing over if the gold plates from George Washington are real in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> Looking at the swords and the wars and just like stuff that you would never see on TV. And I thought about that exposure piece. I said, okay, now this is cool, but we got to go back to the South Side of Chicago. So what's the plan? And that Saturday morning, I took the 35 of us. We met in the hotel lobby. I'm like, what's the plan? What are we going to do? What are we going to take from this experience? Like, it was cool being in the White House with President Obama. That was awesome. One of my all-time lifetime experiences. But we got to go live real life Monday. Right. So what do we take from this? What does now, this, this is where look like? mentorship and leadership come in at, right? So they like, hey, we can do this. We can do that. We can do this. So that's where we created the Born to Win Mentoring Conference mm. that Saturday morning. And we said, all right, we're going to replicate this experience and bring it to the south side of Chicago. So we're going to have to plan for it and then bring in other programs that are reaching African-American young men, Latino young men across the city in the United States and have a day of celebration where we remember this moment. And so we going on five years, June, June 6th. We may have to postpone it due to the COVID-19, but, you know, very, very, very powerful opportunity that we had there. And as a leader, as a mentor who was only doing what my mentor taught me was you create more opportunities from that one opportunity. And so that's what we did. But man, yeah, definitely, you know, President Obama, man, it's, it's, it's cool as they come. And I've been in the room with him a few times and just to see him move and operate is, is pretty special. Man, that's amazing. So how with that has to come a new normal, because once you have kind of reached the pinnacle, once you've reached that high place, you have to establish a new normal. So what does what does excellence look like to you now? Yeah. So your standard change when you get exposed, right? You can't think the same. You can't act the same. You can't talk the same. You can't walk the same, right? It's because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. Once I went to Stanford, it was like <laughs> that couldn't be erased from my memory. That was at a very high level. Right. And palm trees and being on the plane and seeing that. So I couldn't come back and start thinking like the same. I'm like, hey, man, I saw something. And I can't unsee what I saw. So maybe I can, I, maybe not Stanford, but I can go to college. Right. Because before I never thought about me going to college. I just wanted to work and not go to jail. Wow. And so my new norm now was, okay, maybe I can go to college. And then I said, you know what? 
I'm going to be real risky. Maybe I can graduate from college. Now, remember, <laughs> no one in my family had ever done it. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I was, you know, I was talking normal. <laughs> I was really out the box thinking. Dude. But I'm like, okay, if I can go to college and then I learn something about the power of writing your goals down. So I said, okay, I'm 18. My mom dead. My father was locked up but I can rewrite my history. So I said, I'm going to just try three goals. My first goal was to graduate in four years. I wrote it down. I will graduate from college in four years. My second goal was, now, let me give you some background. I was never able to uh, graduate from high school with above a 3.0 GPA. So I said, I will graduate with above a 3.0 cumulative GPA from college. That was my second goal. I wrote it down. I'm 18. Yeah. 98. 1998. Third goal, I will get scholarships and grants in college that I didn't get in high school. Just three goals. So moments I was tested throughout the course of that first year that I wanted to stop and I wanted to quit, I would go back to those goals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's what kept the bunker zone, like you rolling that ball down that bowling lane and them little bunkers on so you won't go and get that gutter, right? Those goals were my bunkers. And any time I wanted to go out outside of the lane, man, them goals would smack me in the face. And so I was able to accomplish all three goals and be the first one out of my family to graduate from college. Why? It's because what you asked, I had a new normal. Why? It's because I was exposed. Why? It's because now I saw myself differently than I did before. And it's something powerful when we start to see ourselves differently than we did before. That's true, man. That's true. Yes, sir. I believe that oftentimes that men, young men specifically, are often misunderstood and to misunderstand themselves because they've never really seen uh, an example of what it really means to be a man and a man that walks in excellence. Now, I have to I have to ask you, Vondell, because you have you have overcome so many hurdles, you've done so many things. What do you tell a brother who or a young man who is striving to do something that they've never seen before. They're trying to go to the next level. Maybe they're trying to take their career to the next level. Maybe they're just like you trying to survive or trying to climb a corporate ladder. What advice would you give them that you glean from in your own personal life? First of all, if, if you, you're really, really serious about going to the next level, one of the first things that you have to do, you have to separate yourself. And here's what I mean when I say that. You may have people in your family who don't necessarily agree, believe in you or your ability, but I think that's where you say, you know what? I haven't had any success prior to this, so I might as well try something new. Yeah. Start with that. Let's be real. You haven't won anything. You haven't done anything. You haven't accomplished anything yet. So why don't you just start with a clean slate? Because what we do, we beat ourselves up. 
when we use ourselves as hostages against mm, our destiny. Yeah. And so when you start to limit yourself and you start to conjure up your past and all the losses that you have, you don't even have the energy or fortitude to see yourself different. Wow. And if you have people around you, whether they're family, whether they're inside, outside your house, still in the kind of that same boat, if you will, then there is no way you're going to have the energy to move forward. So for me is literally I had to isolate myself for a long period of time to figure out who I was. And that took a lot of like messy work, man. I had to unpack some things and say, look, you know that you came from the project. You know, you don't have the best grammar. You know, you wasn't the smartest kid in the school. You know, you don't have a mom. You know, your dad had. And then at the time, Robert, I didn't say this earlier, but I was a ward of the court before 18. Wow. So you talking to somebody who telling you, you don't have an excuse. There's not a lot of us that made it out the South side of Chicago project. And if they are, they may not always have it up here. And so that's one area. Then number two, I say this when I'm mentoring, you have to find a routine where you can be consistent in. Mm. It's the small successes. Yeah. You want to get all the big wins, but celebrate the small successes, the small wins. You make a mistake, you mess up, you don't reach that goal, revise it, tweak it, change it, modify it, but don't throw yourself away in that process. It's very important. My mentor used to always say, eat the meat, spit the bones out. Right. Eat the meat, spit the bones out. Don't choke. (laughs) You know, it's going to be some things that come your way that you may say, okay, I don't know how to process this. It's not making sense to me. I thought this was going to work out and it didn't. It's not the time to give up. That's the time to reevaluate and say, okay, there's opportunity. What am I uh, needing to learn in this process? How do I need to go about it? Who do I need to partner with to help me think through it? And it's okay if you don't have all of the answers. You have to figure out what do you need to do to get you from point A to point B. And once you get to point B, celebrate that small win, that small success. So excellence at another level is learning from your mistakes and moving forward and creating new strategies along the way. Mm. That's money, man. That's money right there. (laughs) So with all of that in mind, man, for people and brothers who are who are out here doing it, let's say they've graduated from college, they've got the job, they're doing their thing. How and this is in, in all and sometimes and in this moment I want to be a little transparent. How do you, Rondell, deal with the quote unquote guilt of success? The I Am Man Podcast I mean? is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves. 